Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Let's read that now. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. A tired and fearful father has been raising a boy with a full-on condition going on. Since his earliest days, he's been in the battle of his life. What started as simple seizures as a kid has become rather nasty. Some have tried to call this epilepsy, but our passage tells us he appeared to be deliberately trying to drown himself or set him alight. So this isn't neurological, it's clearly spiritual. It's the powers of darkness sticking to their plan for mankind, to steal, kill and destroy. It's hard to tell just from this passage how a child got that way, and there are too many theories to explore in the time we have here now. What we do know is that it was a very sad home to be living in with all this going on. And if you're a dad who has ever seen your kids in even the slightest amount of pain, you might feel the stress this father is under right now. But despair turns to hope when some major news hits the region. The place is all abuzz because a man known to be a miracle worker has apparently arrived. If tradition is correct that Mount Tabor is the location of this event, then Jesus is quite a known personality in their region. Nazareth was just a few kilometers away. If the other theory of Mount Hermon is correct, then the miracles are still somewhat legendary, as Jesus didn't make the journey up there quite as much. Regardless of the location, the presence of Jesus means hope and the possibility of healing for his boy. So this father is not going to let that chance go by. 
He grabs his son and heads to where he was reported to be, only to find that Jesus himself has gone for a walk up the hill with a few of his followers. Instead, he comes across nine willing men who claim that they can meet his need. The father still has that faith and hope going on, so he agrees to let these disciples have a go at healing his boy. But things go pear-shaped really quickly, and it's here that our passage picks the story up. The disciples are summoning up all their courage and commands and doing their best to remove this spiritual force, but to no avail. Nothing is working, and this is starting to get really embarrassing for these Jesus followers. But more importantly, things are becoming increasingly demoralizing for the desperate father. On top of that, the religious people who have been following and watching Jesus' movements are swooping in like vultures onto the scene. This is just too good for them. Perhaps the wheels might be falling off after all. A sudden possibility emerges that these disciples may well be quite powerless should their leader ever be taken out. Everyone gathered may be thinking at this time that perhaps this whole Jesus deal is not quite what it's cracked up to be. We should note here that these men had actually been authorized to do this work, even outside the physical watch of Jesus himself. Earlier in the Gospels, we are shown that the twelve were called, separated, and clearly given this spiritual authorization. They had been sent already to do this work unsupervised and did so successfully. This authorization was an all-encompassing one. Sickness and the dark powers behind much of it was to be gone and healed at their word. So this ministry time should have been going on without a hitch. And the tone Jesus had with them later in this passage shows that he was expecting this to be the case. Instead, we find ourselves reading about an absolute rabble. But the whole mood changes tangibly when Jesus shows up here. Our passage tells us that the crowd was immediately in a state of amazement the moment they realized Jesus was in the vicinity. The word used in the Greek is a passive use of the word ekthambio, meaning to throw into terror. And I believe that the immediate audience on all fronts was supposed to suddenly feel that way. The scribes, these teachers of the law who were starting to wring their hands at the apparent powerlessness of the disciples, knew that they had no answer for his work. The demonic presence taking residence in the boy knew that his number was up. And the disciples who were claiming to save the day were about to be exposed for their lack of understanding at what they held in their hand. To all of them, Jesus makes a pretty full-on sweeping statement. You unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Unbelieving. We understand that the biblical concept of faith is a noun, but belief is a verb. And so is unbelief. These are words of action. 98 times in John's Gospel alone, we see the word believe written to describe our faith expression. It's not passive, it's active and something we demonstrate by action, not by observation. The word for believe in the Greek is pistos. The word being used in our passage now is the complete opposite verb, apistos. So everybody present has actually gotten to a place of active disbelief at the work of Jesus. He'd only been gone a few hours, and he was going to be gone a whole lot longer in a few short months. So Jesus was understandably not happy with the situation that he'd found at the bottom of the mountain that day. It's at this point that he takes matters into his own hands. He meets the boy, and the same demonic thing happens right in front of him. 
The father is now at wit's end as he explains the situation, and we see a very clear but sad faith journey that is being spoken of here. Catch the tone of his statements here. I came to the place where everyone said you were, and I trusted the people who call themselves your disciples, your apprentices. But I've seen no change from all this. Instead, I am now in more doubt than I've ever been. If it's true that you're who you say you are, if you can actually do this, then please be compelled to action my way. His doubts are increasing, and his faith in Jesus right there is wavering. And that is clear in Jesus' response to him when he catches the question in the Father's words. If I can, don't think that. Instead, actively know that I can. And with that, he meets the need that the disciples were authorized to do, but in the moment were unable to do. Now that is the situation. Let's reflect together in a couple of key ways. The first reflection is around the conversation between a desperate father and Jesus, one that I think we've pretty much all had at one time or another. This man came with expectation and instead encountered setbacks and moments that caused his faith to flounder. He was wavering in his faith after just a few minutes with Jesus' followers. I'll address that in and of itself in a moment. And even as he gets face-to-face with Jesus himself, he begins questioning the care and the ability of the Savior of the world. The phrase, if you can, is a clear statement of doubt here, and Jesus is clearly aware of the mindset of the man in front of him. If you have ever said, if you can, or something to that effect to Jesus, you are in good company. Pretty much all of us have had those moments. We've all been in need. We've all had setbacks. We've all had those moments where it's appeared like Jesus is just not coming through for us. Sometimes things even appear to get worse. Out of this passage, let me show you a few things to remember when we go through those times. First, there is a spiritual enemy that seeks our destruction. He won't let go without a fight sometimes. We need to be persistent with our prayer and faith in those times. Next, from this father onwards, I have seen that the ones who get themselves closest to Jesus in these times find what they need, either in a directly met need or grace and strength to endure what they are facing. I don't really know why it's an either-or thing, but I know that Jesus can be glorified in all of it. This man got away from the crowd and even unhelpful disciples and got as close to Jesus as he could, and this is what came through for him. Also, our personal faith matters in all that we go through. Jesus got to this man at the right time. His faith was wavering, but Jesus called for the right frame of mind without being repelled by the unbelief that was brewing in him. Jesus calls for active belief here, and the man musters the courage to do so, admitting the deficiency of his own belief in the process. But Jesus has already spoken about mustard seed faith before, and that's what he's looking for here. The man might not have had all that much belief at this point, but like the guy at a poker table with the shortest stack, he goes all in with what he has. It was a mustard seed, but it was enough for Jesus to move and meet his need. It's a belief system that looks to nothing but Jesus to meet us where we're at. It might be shaky, but if it's solely in the direction of Jesus, it will be enough. My other reflection to consider is what takes place after the dust settles. I'm speaking, of course, about the follow-up conversation between Jesus and the disciples who seemingly couldn't get the job done. I imagine this would have been a somewhat awkward conversation to be having. It plays out somewhat fast in the passage. 
But I feel like it would have taken a while for somebody to muster the courage to ask Jesus why they fell short. They knew from Jesus' hard words earlier that they had really dropped the ball in a big way. Eventually, the elephant in the room gets addressed. So Jesus, you authorized us to do this stuff. Why did it go pear-shaped? Jesus simply states that the absence of prayer was the problem. They had gotten to a point of taking a knife to a gunfight in an ongoing spiritual battle. They attempted to bring a humanized view of authorization to a situation that required divine empowerment. They used human thinking and human engagement to do battle in the spiritual realm, and this was dangerous to them. And it did damage to the people they were ministering to as well. Ministry of any kind is dangerous if it's not done out of relationship and dependence on the power and the presence of God. So we must make our faith expression one that is completely dependent on Jesus. We must forsake our sense of privilege and instead walk in his power. We need to forsake our good advice and our human methods and embrace a truly empowered ministry instead. And then we can sit back and see what Jesus does in and through us as a result. And finally, if you are in that place of saying, help my unbelief, let me say this, go all in with Jesus. I can't promise that every sickness or pain or setback will immediately cease. But I can promise that Jesus will show himself to be real to you in a great and reassuring way. You will walk in assurance that you're not alone and that every part of your life is firmly in his hands. It's a great place to be if you will go all in. That's what belief calls for and it's truly worth the risk. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.